Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is episode 21 of season four. It's also a Facebook Live reading video. Uh, we've been reading this book, Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. You can find a link to uh, a page that will allow you to buy that on Amazon in the description of this podcast and this Facebook Live video. Hey, great to, great to be with you again tonight. I still don't know the results of the national election here on November 5th, uh, an hour after I talked to you last about it. We'll keep moving forward and trust that God's in control. A couple other updates. I guess because of COVID-19, they've uh, closed the hospital to visitors. So my mother-in-law, Joni, can't go in to say, see great aunt Elva right now. So, and Elva, I don't know if you'll be able to listen to this or not without somebody uh, putting it up on a phone or on a computer for you. But if you are, know that we're all thinking of you tonight and wish we could come visit you. Uh, my eighth grader also just got tested and I, we're going to have to wait a few days to hear the results on COVID. She did test positive for the B strain of influenza. So flu B is in my house. I hope it's not in yours. And uh, we're still waiting. We'll have to wait a couple days to hear about COVID-19. So that's what's going on in my house tonight. How how y'all doing? <laughs> uh, hanging in there. Are you staying healthy? Are you staying out of trouble? Uh, what a crazy time we're living through. And it's so good to be with you even remotely uh, so we can share this time together. Thanks for your thoughts. Thanks for keeping my family in your prayers. And uh, let's jump into this delight, this last chapter, this chapter 11. There's one more chapter after this, but chapter 11 is called God's Word Propels Your Adventure. And we talked in this first part about the, the savory delight, the delicious delight of God's Word and how the Bible can talk about God's Word and God's presence as that delectable, tasty banquet, uh, a wonderful delight. So now we're on page 235, and we're starting with this section titled, Exploring God's Word, A Playful Delight. Playful delight, remember, that's the what things that make you go, wee. What are the Hebrew words for delight? God's Word meets your deep and daily need with delicious delight. Don't get me wrong, reading, understanding, holding on to, and living out God's word in your life can be really difficult. Sometimes God's word is confusing. Sometimes the Bible seems closed, or worse, contradictory. Sometimes translating what was going on there and then to the here and now leaves you scratching your head and wondering what in the world the word could possibly have to say about your day, your week, your job, or your family. Sometimes scripture takes work to understand. I bet you already knew that knew God's word takes work to understand, but I hope that you're also beginning to imagine another truth. God's word also takes play to understand. Based on our conversation in the last chapter, I wonder if God also intends your encounter with scripture to bring you rest right along with work and play. But work, for sure, and play, definitely play. Maybe God designed the rest and peace we get from Scripture to be the result of our full engagement. And maybe God designed the work of that full engagement to be, quite simply, fun. 
rest, work, and play all come together to deliver God's good gifts to the people God loves. Yep, that sounds like something God would do. It also sounds like Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 119 in your Bible and you'll see this love song is divided up into 22 different sections, one for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Your translation probably even lists the Hebrew letters in alphabetical order as headers for each of the 22 sections. That's because each section includes eight lines of Hebrew poetry that all begin with the same letter each section advancing in alphabetical order from beginning to end, one letter at a time. God's word has got you covered from A to Z, uh, or rather from Aleph to Tav. That delight with language is only one aspect of the poetry of Psalm 119, but it's enough for you to see that a skilled author crafted these lines carefully and with intention. The intentional interplay between letters, words, stanzas, and meaning is supposed to capture your fancy as well as your attention. Whoever wrote Psalm 119, they had fun while writing it. And you're supposed to have fun reading it. Having fun is part of what it means to engage the work it takes to rest in God's word. In the Vav, or V, section of Psalm 119, the poet writes, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight, Sha'ah, in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. That's Psalm 119, 41 to 48. You can't see it in translation, but the Hebrew words that begin each of these eight stanzas all begin with the Hebrew letter Vav. Uh, you can pronounce W-A-W, Vav, as Vau, if you like. When I first learned Hebrew, I was taught a soft consonant, which means I've always thought of this part of the Psalm 119 as the Wow section, because we used to call that Hebrew letter Wow. Hey, Wow. Look at how God's word is associated with the mouth or with speaking. Speaking in public, like before kings, or speaking out loud to yourself, as in the meditate verb in the last line. Remember in, in those words, I, I wish you could go back and see it. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 119. In fact, that might be a good thing tonight. Get your Bible. There's going to be a couple places where seeing the words might help you too. Psalm 119, 41 to 48 talks about uh, speaking God's words in front of kings and also meditating on your word, which remember for the psalmist would mean speaking those words out loud, chewing them again and again out loud to yourself so you can feel it in your mouth and hear it in your own ears. Look at how God's word is associated with the mouth or with speaking. Speaking in public like before kings or speaking out loud to yourself as in the meditate verb in the last line. Notice also all the synonyms for God's word. In this one section alone, you, we have 
your promise, your word, the word of truth, your rules, your law, your precepts, your testimonies, your commands, and your statutes. And look at all the outcomes that result from the psalmist encountering God's word. Your salvation, an answer, trust, hope, walking in a wide place, not being put to shame, delight, lifting my hands, and meditating on the word. The sheer volume of variety and vocabulary leads us to imagine more than a narrow legalism when it comes to keeping God's law or even hoping in God's rules. Hoping in God's rules? That hardly makes sense. Unless we take a holistic approach to all of these ways of referring to God's word. God's word, in the broadest sense, includes both commands and promises. In the same way, obeying God's word can include both receiving promises in faith and working out that faith in real life, as the Spirit of Jesus works in you. The person described in this vav or wow section knows God's word and trusts God's word and lives under the grace of God's promise and delights in God's will and walks in God's ways to the glory of God's holy name. The delight word used in these verses is sha'ah, playful delight. You can use that verb to describe a child at play. Here I think it reflects engagement with the word that is just plain fun. Of course, that engagement is work, too, but the type of work that enhances your delight and makes you lose track of time and lay down your burden. To sha'ah in God's word is to ride your bike downhill at full speed, pedaling hard and having the time of your life. Whee! We have so many examples from both Old and New Testament of the playfulness involved in taking a high dive into the word and splashing around and getting soaking wet and riding those powerful swells to discover the beauty and the humor and the care with which these scriptures were written. Can we do just one more, please? Let's stick with some verses we've already looked at briefly in this chapter. Isaiah chapter 55 is talking about God's word. Take a dive into the playful structure and progression in verses 6 to 11. If you've got your Bible, go there really quick right now. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 to 11. Take a dive into the playful structure and progression in verses 6 to 11 and splash around a little with me. So here is Isaiah 55, 6 to 11. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
This gushing torrent of ideas draws on three different kinds of thought structures to develop one central theme, how the unrighteous can come back to God by the power of God's word. Surf the waves of this text, ride those whitewater rapids, and the mastery of language is really quite breathtaking. You can't see how the Hebrew lines rhyme in this complex poem, which is just as well, since they don't. At least the words don't necessarily share similar sounds like we typically think of, of rhyming, like oneg rhymes with no leg. Like we said way back in the first chapter, Hebrew poetry likes to rhyme meaning, not just sounds. You can see this play with words in the first stanza, Seek the Lord, rhymes in meaning with call on him, like while he may be found balances with while he is near. Such parallelism highlights what's important by saying the same thing again, but in a different way. You could call that first thought idea A, and the second thought, this is really just rephrasing of the first, you could call that maybe idea A1, idea A and idea A1 when it's basically just restating the same idea twice. The next line, however, gives us some new ideas. The wicked parallels the unrighteous, and forsaking their ways is roughly the same thing as forsaking their thoughts. So we again have meanings that rhyme, but with a new thought. So idea B and idea B1. But hold on to your hats, because the next line returns to idea A from the opening verse, but this time expands the thought to give us the result of the action called for in idea A. When the wicked or un unrighteous turn to the Lord or to our God in stanza 3, that's the same as seeking the Lord or calling on the Lord in stanza 1. But now the result is clear. He will have mercy on them. Or to put it another way, he will freely pardon. It's the first thought, but expanded. So maybe idea A plus and idea A plus one. All this poetic algebra is just trying to highlight the delightful interplay between the stanzas. The idea itself is beautiful, and the prophet is presenting the idea beautifully. Look at this first stanza again with this structure in mind. A, A1, B, B1, a plus, A plus one. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Pretty cool, huh? But wait, there's more. Stick with, me on, stick with me on this. I, it'll pay off when you read all of these verses together after you've, you've looked at them separately in depth. You know those 3D pictures of a sunken ship where you have to keep looking at it and looking at it and suddenly it comes to life and you find the treasure that was hiding in plain sight all along? Working or playing with the biblical text can sometimes be like that. When you have a central idea framed like idea B is framed between ideas A and A+, plus, it usually means the thought inside the frame is most important. That might seem odd to the Western mind, 
like me, you're probably less circular and more linear in your thinking. We tend to put the most important thing at the end of a logic string. It's the final destination to which the journey of our argument leads. And when everything we read or hear works like that, it's easy to see why we think the most important thing always comes at the end. I, I once had, in contrast, some Eastern thinkers, including many Hebrew poets and prophets, tend to put the most important thought in the center of the argument. I once had a seminary professor from India, and I could never follow his lecture or track with class or track with class discussion until it occurred to me that he was using this style of Eastern thought structure. Once I noticed it, I could see how he would put out a central premise and then circle around it four or five times, looking at it from different angles. His thinking was quite beautiful once you got used to it. Until then, you felt like he never gave a straight answer, which of course he didn't, because straight answers don't fit in that style of logical structure. The logic of Isaiah 55 says idea B, B1, is the main thought because B, B1 is inside the frame. You've got A and A1 and then B and B1 and then A plus 1, A plus and A plus 1. B and B1 is inside the frame. That means that's the main idea. Isaiah's main focus is calling for repentance. Look what happens next. The central idea from the first stanza gets picked up in the second stanza. Idea B is about the ways of the wicked, and B1 is about their thoughts. Ways and thoughts form the center of the logic of stanza 1 and become the outside of the logic sandwich in stanza 2. Here's stanza 2. B1. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. B. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. C. As the heavens are higher than the earth, B, so are my ways higher than your ways, B1, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thoughts, ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, ways, thoughts. Look at how that logical flow works. It's like climbing up one side of the mountain and down the other. Here the flow goes thoughts, ways, distance between, ways, thoughts. Kind of like that maybe. Uh, the flow goes thoughts, ways, distance between, distance between ways, and then thoughts. Do you see the movement towards and away from that central idea? And how cool that these stairs are built out of the central thought from the previous stanza. We now have a new thought structure and a new central thought. I know this is kind of hard to do uh, just over Facebook Live. It might be easier actually to read this section, but stick with me. We're, we're, We're getting there. We're getting there. We now have a new thought structure and a new central thought, a thought that builds on material from what came right before, but also presents a big problem. The wicked and unrighteous are supposed to seek or call on or turn to the Lord our God while he is near and may be found so that the Lord will have mercy and freely pardon. That seeking, calling, and turning consists of forsaking wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. Those thoughts and ways are far from this God of mercy and pardon. And that's a problem. How do you seek and call on and turn to a God who is so far away. Indeed, as far as the heavens are 
above the earth. How are you supposed to bridge the gap in idea C, the central thought of stanza 2? Well, that's why we have stanza 3. Are you beginning to see that sunken ship yet, or are you just getting a little dizzy? Hang in there. Once again, using a different thought pattern, and once again, building on material from the previous stanza, Isaiah, the poet-prophet, lays out the solution to the distance between God and those who would turn back to God for mercy and pardon. So here's the third stanza. Idea C, remember from the second stanza, is how far away God is from us. And now we're going to get another thought structure in this third stanza. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Here is the answer to the problem of distance between a holy God and sinful people. Here is how that gap gets bridged. Here is why the wicked can turn back to God and receive free pardon. Rain and snow bridge the distance between heaven and earth from heaven's side. When rain and snow bridge the difference, they have a job to do, and the result is abundant life. That progression of precipitation from heavenly origin to earthly harvest is parallel to the progression of God's word. God's word bridges the distance to sinners from heaven's side. When God's word bridges the distance, it has a job to do, and the result is abundant life. Isn't that a beautiful solution to our problem? Now consider how Jesus is called the word how Jesus came down and bridged the distance between God and a sinful humanity from heaven's side, how Jesus had a job to do, and the result is abundant life, and all of a sudden, I'm a little breathless and have tears in my eyes. Isn't God's word wonderful? Isn't this fun? I know we're all hardwired a little differently, and this may be more delightful for me than it is for you, but but just look at these six verses and tell me if you don't at least see why I think this is so cool. Maybe try vocalizing these verses to yourself a few times, like a lion intently gnawing a bone while growling deep and satisfied. Okay, here's the whole thing, Isaiah 55, 6-11. A. Seek the Lord while he may be found. A1. Call on him while he is near. B. Let the wicked forsake their ways. B1. And the unrighteous their thoughts. A+. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. A1. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. B1. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. B. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. C. As the heavens are higher than the earth. B. So are my ways higher than your ways. B1. And my thoughts than your thoughts. C. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven. D. And do not return to it without watering the earth. D. Plus. 
and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, C1. So is my word that goes out from my mouth, D1. It will not return to me empty, D plus one, but I but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Phew. Did you see the sunken treasure ship in 3D? Did you notice that one shark swimming right at you? Isn't that cool? Of course, I didn't come up with this analysis all by myself, and you aren't supposed to either, but it is fun to play. In this case, I saw something similar in a book by Kenneth Bailey on how Paul shapes his argument in 1 Corinthians based on Hebrew thought structures. Hey, look, I've got it right here. It's Paul Bailey. Paul through uh, Kenneth Bailey, Paul through Mediterranean eyes, cultural, stu cultural studies in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Bailey used Isaiah 55, 6-11 as an example, and I modified his work, played with it some, and made it my own. That's how it works. You read and study and pray and discuss and play, and suddenly the word becomes planted deep in your own heart. The word bridges the gap from heaven's side. The word invites you to turn and seek the Lord and to find mercy and free pardon because Jesus creates abundant life in you. These are just two examples from Psalm 119 and Psalm Isaiah 55. I'd love to do more. I'd love to show you the humor in Genesis chapter 11 when God says, what are they doing way down there? Let's go all the way down there so we can take a closer look when the people thought they were building a tower all the way up to heaven. I'd love to show you the heartbreaking irony of Matthew's passion account as the bystanders mock Jesus as king when Matthew has gone out of his way to portray Jesus as the true king of Israel, but they don't have eyes to see. I'd love to sit with you and talk about the abrupt ending to the Gospel of Mark because I'm convinced it actually ends with women leaving the tomb in fear and not saying anything to anyone because they were terrified. I think Mark ends it that way on purpose for good reason, and it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, I'd love to go on and on about the seven signs in the Gospel of John or, or the way Jesus gently reinstates Peter or the tight and overlapping metaphors at the heart of Paul's letters or the beauty and delight of the characters and events in the book of Luke and its sequel, Acts. But not now. For now, let me content myself with saying, God's word is awesome. And God gives us this word to explore with playful delight. If you've never experienced God's word that way, don't give up. And don't despair. Studying God's word is difficult and complicated and can be frustrating and confusing. And sometimes, studying God's word is just plain fun. Trying to see a hidden 3D picture can give you a headache, but there is a knack to it and you can get better at it. What's at stake here is so much more wonderful than an illusion of depth and movement. God's word gives you access to the actual thoughts and intention and heart of God. When you engage scripture, you begin to see your life with God in 3D. The movement of the spirit and the treasures of your faith and the presence of Jesus, who is the word, 
all of a sudden take on new depth and perspective. When God's word and your life unexpectedly come together in a new way and your perspective shifts, it can take your breath away. And just as suddenly, that 3D image can collapse back into a random-seeming random hodgepodge of geometric shapes with no decipherable pattern. So, like everything else in this book, the playful delight of God's Word is not intended as a burden. You don't have to have more fun or else. Playful delight is an invitation to you from Jesus. Jesus bridges the gap from heaven's side, and promises to meet you as the Word in the Word. Trust that Jesus will show up by the power of the Spirit. Find another follower of Jesus to walk this journey with you. And sit with even the difficult passages long enough to wonder what Jesus is up to in the, in the text and what Jesus is up to in your life. Studying the Bible won't be all sunshine and rainbows, or sharks and treasure chests, but Valve, this powerful, engaging, poetic, challenging word of God, sure is fun. Sure is fun. Hey, so good to be with you again tonight. I look forward to tomorrow night as well. Uh, we get to talk about God's word as a lamp to my feet. Looking forward to that section as well. Well, good night, everybody. So good to have you with me again tonight. And uh, as always, check out the links. The new hymn journal uh, just came out, Light in the Darkness. Love for you to pick up a copy of that. Uh, we also have a, a link to our Patreon page if you'd like to make a regular monthly commitment to support the mission and ministry of helping people delight in taking a next step. We'd love to have you as a part of the Next Step patron family. Hey, thanks, uh, and we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night. Bye now. Uh, I always end it actually like this. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press. Yeah, that was better. Thanks.